this is the audio lecture, the third audio lecture for Chaucer's uh, General Prologue to Canterbury Tales. We're going to start discussing the monk's profile. Uh, this is on page number 63 in the prescribed textbook. I'm going to start from there. Uh, we have already had a short discussion about the monk, but uh, uh, I am still going to have a detailed discussion about uh, this particular profile because it is one of the more important and one of the more elaborate ones. There are uh, a lot of very interesting studies done on the monk's profile as well as representative of the narrative style that Chaucer employs. But we are going to talk about all of that once we are through with the profile. On page number 63, line number 165, uh, Chaucer starts, or the narrator actually starts, A monk there was a fair of the maestry, an outrider who loved venery. Uh, outrider is somebody who is allowed to go out in the sense that monks were usually supposed to um, stay within the monasteries and as a symbol of having given up the worldly pleasures and the material world in a certain sense they were not allowed to come out outrider was uh, it, it was a reference to the monks who were allowed to go out uh, for very particular number of things uh, sometimes maybe to um, spread the word or to preach or uh, for other small works but outriders is a reference to those number of or those particular monks who were permitted to leave what was called the cloister or the monastery in order to oversee some of the abbey lands and this is given on page number 62 perhaps at some distance from the monastery uh, venery is uh, hunting but since the but we're going to talk about that a little later on um, and then he says, a manly man, to be an abbot able, full many a dainty horse had he in stable, and when he rude, men might his bridle hear, gingling in a whistling wind as all's clear, and eke as loud as thus the chapel bell, there as this lord was keeper of the cell, the rule of St. Moore, which is St. Maurice, or of St. Benedict, which is St. Benedict, by cause that it was Old and Sumdal Street. Um, these are very important points. We are going to discuss them one at a time. The fact that Chaucer or the narrator actually chooses to describe the monk as a manly man is a slight sort of a, it's slightly, it's a slight discrepancy actually. Uh, because a monk is not supposed to be uh, spoken about in these kind of terms. A manly man would uh, refer not just to his uh, um, to his stature as a man of the world, but also in a certain sense somebody who is conscious of, um, of being a man in a certain sense. And how that actually compares is, if you come back to the knight's uh, profile, and this is on page number 55. Um, this is line number 69. The knight is spoken of as, I'll start reading from uh, line number 68. And though that he were worthy, he was wise. He was both worthy and wise. We talked about this. And of his sport as meek as is a maid. Now the knight who is actually the manly man in a certain sense because he goes to war and his profession, his social stature is because he goes to war and he indulges in violence is uh, considered or he, he is described as somebody who is both courageous, he is valorous but also he is wise, he is intellectually superior to a lot of people, he is genteel but also he is meek as a maid. So in that sense, uh, the knight is uh, compared to a maid or his, uh, you know, his his temperament is compared to a man, uh, to a maid, 
the monk on the other hand is called a manly man to be in an abbot able to be in an abbot able basically means an abbot is somebody who would control an abbey or uh, sort of a small monastery right and in medieval uh, england abbeys would have a lot of land the church had a lot of land and they had a lot of money uh, which was because of course the churches were corrupt right the church um, the monasteries were corrupt they would take a lot of land they would take a part of the taxes also and this was a very common point on which the estate satires sort of um, you know criticized the church as well as uh, the people who were associated with the church and so to be an abbot able uh, the narrator is saying that he was so good at his job that he could have been an abbot also he was good enough to become an abbot to actually take care of a whole abbot uh but this particular sentence is uh, this particular phrase is also important because all the other characteristics of the uh monk from here onwards are ones which are not at all associated with the duties that he would have he would possibly have as member of an abbey or as a monk as mom, as a member of the church at all all of the characteristics associated with a monk are those which would uh, ordinarily be associated with a landed gentleman with a uh, lower aristocracy with uh, somebody perhaps like a franklin or somebody like a lower knight somebody who is very much a part of the world he likes to hunt he likes to eat well he likes to dress well he likes doing all of those things so if at all uh, the narrator is saying that he is good enough he is able enough to become an abbot either it's an ironic sort of an undercutting of what the profile of the monk is going to be from here on onwards or it basically means that he's so corrupt that he would be he would fit absolutely well as the head of a medieval english abbey because everybody is corrupt and so is he so he is very much a part of he is at the head of the game in in that sense right full many a dainty horses had he in stable dainty basically means fine of fine condition of fine birth of fine breeding again um having horses or having large stables maintaining all of that would require a lot of money it would be associated with landed gentry not with a monk who was supposed to be sort of a beggar right and when he rode when he rode as in when he rode the horses men might his bridle here bridle is the bridle uh, with which you control the horse with its riders control the horse and his bridles could be heard gingling as in jingling or um, you know chiming in the whistling wind as all's clear as clearly his bridles were so sharp they were so uh, fine they were so decorated that they could be heard as loud as that the chapel bells so the chapels would have the prayer halls would have chapel bells abbeys would have chapels uh, which would have bells which would toll which would sort of mark the day uh, mark the time of the day constantly so the bell would toll and then monks would know that it's time to eat then the bells would toll and then the monks would know that it's time to pray and so on and so forth right so the chapel bells had to be really really loud um and in a sense what uh, the narrator here might be implying and this is something that harit nagorathan um, points out he says that it seems as if the monk hears uh, you know the call of the bells of the bridle of his horse rather than the chapel bell which is what he is supposed to hear right so his priorities are completely distended in that sense there as this lord was keeper of the cell there as in wherever this lord was a keeper of the cell were these were small um, abbeys the rule of saint morris and of saint benedict uh, because that it was old and somewhat strict 
this is the same monk let all things pass or slide and held after the new world the space he yaf he gave not of that text a pulled hen um this basically means that wherever this man was in charge whatever little place whatever little cell whatever people he was in charge of as a man of somewhat little power whatever little power he had he did not agree to or he did not follow the rule of saint maurice or saint benedict these are um, these are saints of the old catholic church because he thought that they were old and sandal straight and because he thought that they were old fashioned and they were very very strict and it was not really required the same monk let old things space as in he let all of those old old fashioned things slide and here the reference to old fashioned things is religious and devotional sentiments so he is letting all of them slide uh, and held after the new world the space as in the space or his world or the space that he had uh, control over it was maintained after the new world and the new world is the world a world of the merchants in a socio economic sense this was a world where industry where uh, bourgeoisie the the bourgeoisie portion of the society it was coming up so the merchants had a lot of money and from being a primarily religious society they were moving towards becoming a primarily mercantile society and you see that in the profile of the monk over and over again that instead of having religious inclinations and struck being guided by religious sentiments he is constantly being guided by money and by luxury by material luxury which is uh, what the world or the society was also moving towards you know towards greater industrialization and also towards a greater emphasis on material uh, prosperity and more material prosperity basically corresponded with uh, more social economic and political power more importance he gave not of that text a pulled hand and yeah, and a pulled hen basically means he did not care to hoots about it he did not care at all about it and um, here i just want to um, i just want to highlight that there is a very interesting discussion in one of the essays um, at the back and we are going to talk about it a little later on when we have read more of this about the many animal metaphors that are constantly used and a lot of these animal metaphors are used for members of the church and they are not used in a very very good sense but um this particular sentence is also important he gave not of that text pulled hen is because this particular uh, phrase or this particular uh, way of saying of talking Uh, this idiom is actually one um, which was commonly used by which which was sort of common parlance it was used by people of the lower middle classes somewhat non educated people and um, this was sort of this is sort of tavern talk if you understand what i mean and you would expect somebody who's a little educated somebody who works um, or who's associated with the church to use language which is slightly more dignified according to his station which is slightly more intellectual and not use these kind of crass phrase phrases as it were but what happens here is and this is very important and it's very interesting um the what the narrator does is that the narrator uses the same kind of phraseology that the particular character also uses so when he talks about the monk for example 
when the monk uses these common sort of crass phrases and idioms he also starts using the same kind of idiom and towards the end of the prologue he actually says that uh, he actually says that i apologize to the readers that i am not used very very high language but i hope that my readers understand that in trying to be true to the characters that i am representing i have to be true to exactly what they are who they are and how they talk and so i have to here reproduce whatever they say in whatever manner they talk about and so the same kind of uh, the narrator sort of um, gets under the skin of or follows the example of the characters that he is uh, um, you know talking about and describing so this is this this is common phraseology it was um, he says that of these texts the texts of saint maurice and saint benedict old uh, you know roman catholic church uh, you know texts he gave not a pull and he did not care about those texts at all uh, the scriptures at all that since that hunters be not only not holy men nor that a monk when he is reckless so um, this um, the um, the description of this is given on page number 62 their holy men are not supposed to be hunters those two impulses are contradictory in nature and because hunters are not uh, you know seen as very very great men in holy scriptures so he did not consider the holy scriptures at all important because for him hunting uh, gaming uh, having a good time were more important than uh, you know than scriptures uh, not that a monk when he is reckless is likened to a fish that is waterless so a monk that is reckless or that who doesn't do his duty like of course this monk doesn't is usually compared to a wash that fish that is waterless a fish out of water right it's as is as bizarre as that a monk who is irresponsible a monk who is not religious and because the scriptures uh, say things like these so he says the scriptures are very old fashioned i'm not going to follow them i'm not going to be interested in them at all this is to say in a monk out of his cloister right so again the fish that is waterless is again an animal sort of a reference the monk constantly talks in these kind of animalistic images and animalistic terms uh, but tilk text held he not worth an oyster so he says that um um and this is the reason why that the monk did not hold these texts to be uh, any more uh, to be of any more worth than an oyster now nowadays oysters for people who are non vegetarians oysters are a delicacy but in medieval england oysters were considered to be um non i mean not interesting and not uh, desirable at all so oysters were considered to be completely um, worthless as far as food is concerned and i said his opinion was good now this particular sentence is also if you get a question about the narrative technique that chaucer uses use this particular sentence the narrator says and i said his opinion was good now in a in a traditional estate satire uh the job of the narrator was to represent the society at large which would be talking about which would be highlighting the corruptions of the various people or professions in various estates and then criticizing them right satirizing them but here the narrator instead of actually saying that this is not how a monk is supposed to talk and admi- instead of admonishing the monk he says the narrator says i said that his opinion was good whatever he is saying i thought he was he he was okay in believing whatever he was uh, you know believing 
now this introducing this introduces a you know a sense of irony uh, in the text he is ironically because the narrator says that it's okay you can take that to be a slight extension of the estate satire to mean that even the narrator is saying that i thought that it was okay it also means that the corruption sort of extended to larger society as well the society was also part of these kind of corruptions these can't happen uh, you know in a one sided manner but at the same time the narrator also establishes a sense of camaraderie with the characters that he is uh, portraying and instead of just being didactic and just being preachy the text becomes a little bit more human in that sense what should he study and make himself what basically here means why so why should he study and make himself wood wherever there's a reference to wood here it basically means insane right um or swinken swinken means labor or toil or work with his hands and labor as austin bit st augustine did how shall the world be served late austin had its swink to him reserved now the reference to st augustine is given on page number 62 on the last page please read that uh it basically says that um, st augustine said that it was important for uh, physical work um was one of the virtues that was recommended for the monasteries and for people who belong to the monasteries like the monk and uh, but this monk is of course saying why should he study why should the monk study so much and make himself go mad by studying so much upon a book in cloister always to pore why should he always take his, sit in his cloister cloister is this uh, you know enclosed space where monks were supposed to sit without any company they were supposed to study they were supposed to meditate and that is how they were supposed to spend their time so he is saying why should he sit in his cloister always and pore over and constantly just keep on reading books and not do anything else or swinken or work hard with his hands and do a lot of labor as austin bit as in is as austin has recommended for monks why should he do that how shall the world be served late austin had his swink him reserved so now he is saying that um you know how shall the world be served but the monk is not supposed to think about how the work how the world is going to go around the monk is supposed to only think about his own uh, you know his own spiritual upliftment and education and through his education through his spiritual inclination and religious work he is supposed to also inspire inspire others to a similar kind of religious deportment but um, how the world shall work how the world shall go around is not something that the monk is supposed to think about but that is uh, that is the kind of um, you know that is the kind of things that he is thinking about let's let austin have his swing to him reserved let let st augustine do the work that he wants to do let it uh, you know um, i don't want to do what he talks about that's what the monk is saying therefore he was a precursor which means a hunter he was a true hunter greyhounds he had as swift as fowls in fight he had greyhounds which are basically hunting dogs which were as swift as fowls or birds in flight and this can have two references one that he is a good hunter that he is interested in hunting but also maintaining horses for hunting maintaining greyhounds for hunting it was very very expensive uh, you know hobby so the monk must have a lot of money and he's made a lot of money by being a corrupt church official and swiftest fowl in flight uh, this could be a reference to uh, you know um this uh, monk being interested in um in in fowls also in fowls fighting that was another game that um, the aristocrats or the landed gentry actually played 
of tracking and of hunting for the hare was all his lust if you remember lust basically here means delight right for no cost would he spare and uh, a monk should not have so much money that he would not have to worry about how much things cost right he says um, tracking and hunting of the hare rabbit rabbit hunting was something that he absolutely loved was all his lust uh, he it was his greatest delight to hunt for horse, uh, for rabbits for no cost would he spare uh, i sigh i saw his sleeves perfilled at the hand perfilled is trimmed at the hand and for hunting he would spare no cost he would have the best of everything so that he could hunt as well as he wanted to again not particularly religious and his sleeves were trimmed with uh, with grays as in gray fur and uh, and that the finest of the land the finest fur in the land uh, he could buy and he could use it to trim his uh, sleeves again that kind of uh, vanity was not expected out of a monk and for to fasten his hood and to fast his hood under fasten his hood under his chin to tie up his hood under his chin he had of gold he wrote a curious pin curious here means elaborate intricate which also means that it would be very very expensive he had a pin made out of gold to basically uh, fasten his hood under his chin i love not <laughs> in the greater end there was his head was bald that shone as any glass and also his face as if he had been anointed anoint um he was a lord full fat and in good point so uh, there is a love knot in the greater end of the you know of his uh, hood or of his coat again <laughs> a monk who's relinquished the world uh, has no need for a love knot at all and his head was bald it shone like glass and his face was also shiny and it was anointed and he was full fat he was in great health he was in good condition he looked like he ate well uh his even step and rolling in his head as in his his eyes sorry his eyes stepped as in his eyes were sparkly they were shiny and they were prominent that stemmed as in furnace of a lead and it they shined almost as if there was a furnace um you know there was a cauldron on a furnace this cauldron is a, like a big kadhai on a furnace and his eyes shone as if there was fire in it his boots were supple his horse in great estate his boots were supple as in they were sh- they were soft they were of fine quality his horses were in great condition he had great horses now certainly he was a fair prelate fair prelate prelate is somebody who's uh, associated with the church he was a great churchman he was not pale as a four pine ghost he was not pale as in he was not um uh four pine ghost as in ghost is supposed to be pale they're supposed to look like um, you know they're supposed to be completely white but also four pain could also mean undergoing the pains of hell the reference is given on page number 64 uh the simile is in a certain sense you know it's a reminder of the religious uh teachings that the monk doesn't really want to think about that if you indulge so much in this life you are going to go to hell but looking at him it didn't really look like he was in hell or he was going to hell at all he looked very very healthy he looked very very good right um where were we a fat swan loved he best of any roast a fat swan was it was a very very expensive dish and it was very very greasy because the swan fat apparently is it's it's a very greasy 
um, foul. Uh, his palfrey, which means that his riding horse, was as, as brown as a berry. Now, um, there is a very interesting comparison between the monk and the knight given on page number 145 in the essay by Helen Cooper. The essay call is called An Encyclopedia of Kinds. And I'm just going to read out just one small section of it. There are other examples given here as well. Please read this essay as well. This is very important and it's a very easy essay to understand also. The knight, I'm reading from page number 145, just repeating. The knight whom one might expect to be portrayed as the well-to-do secular country gentleman is in fact an ascetic who has devoted his life to the service of Christianity. Christianity. The monk who follows shortly afterward and whom one might expect to be portrayed as an ascetic who has devoted his life to the service of Christianity is in fact portrayed much more as a well-to-do country gentleman. Right, so Ari Kaski has set out the close verbal parallels that Chaucer uses in the two portraits. The knight who from the time that he first began to ride in and out he loved chivalry, as opposed to the monk, an outrider who loved venery. The knight's good but not gay horses, and here gay, if you remember, means well ornamented, very well decorated. The monk's full many a dainty horse, his horse in great estate. That's the comparison. The ascetic plainness of the knight's clothing, the monk's first leaves and gold pin. The contrast extends to internal qualities as well as attributes. The knight is, quote-unquote, of his sport as meek as is a maid. The monk, on the other hand, is a manly man to be an abbot able. We are made aware of how the world values the knight. He has been, quotation, ever honoured for his worthiness. Evermore he had a sovereign prize. And the voice is Chaucer's echoing a wide evaluation with no room for irony. That's what Helen Cooper is saying. In the monk's portrait, however, it is perpetually his own estimate of himself that we keep hearing in the lines. So the monk is talking only and only about himself. We don't know what others think of him. The monk, the knight, on the other hand, seems to be estimated constantly by other people, right? So his qualities in that sense have been validated as opposed to the monk's. The next profile that we'll be discussing is the friar and uh, the friar is also uh, you know a criticized and a slightly negative profile you'll find a lot of irony here as well a friar there was a wantown and a merry merry is somebody who's playful wanton is somebody um, well wanton is also a similar word it means somebody who's licentious, somebody who's um, who likes having fun. A limiter, a full solemnity man. Solemnity is solemn, somebody who's serious, somebody who is, um, you know, um, somebody who has a lot of gravitas. A limiter is, a limit was the area in which a particular friar was allowed to beg. Friars were, uh, they were... Uh, they were not really members of what was called enclosed orders. It's given on page number 64. Enclosed order uh, church, um, you know, uh, members were basically people like monks who were supposed to stay within enclosures. Like monks were supposed to stay in abbeys or in monasteries. Um, similar was the case with nuns. The friars, on the other hand, were basically people um, who were supposed to be representatives of the regular clergy um, 
but they were people who were supposed to preach go out in the world beg for alms and uh, generally preach sort of the word of god to absolutely everybody that they could possibly um, you know that they could anybody that they could reach out to and uh, so raghunathan says unlike members of the closed orders friars were allowed to move about in the world they preached and could be licensed to hear confessions but of course uh, priests did not like the fact that friars could hear confessions uh because that basically meant that um it took away some of their power and the friars used uh, or corrupted this practice of being able to hear confessions um by saying that if you give me so much money and if i hear your confessions i am going to pray to god and they were allowed to um you know say that their uh, basically the idea of saying confession in catholicism is that if you acknowledge that you've done something wrong that you've sinned then that 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 is sort of the beginning of repentance and that is the beginning of the saving of your soul the first step is acknowledgement and the confession is a sort of a process of that acknowledgement and so the friar could uh, hear confession basically means that he could sort of begin you on the path to repentance and then to forgiveness but of course the friars corrupted this practice and then they took it further and then a lot of friars would say that you know i could hear your confession and if you give a little bit of money for the church then i can actually forgive your soul i could give you forgiveness uh, so people would give money if they were persuaded that the friars could absolve them of their sins and enable them to escape the fear of damnation and this fear of damnation the fact that they would go to hell after they died was one which was very very prominent it was one of the most important it was sort of the driving force it was one of the more important driving forces of the society at the time so the friars came to assume a very important role and uh, in chaucer's time uh, this was a very common um, sort of an assumption it was a common uh, understanding that friars who took money and who uh, absolved people of their sins um, that was sort of the norm rather than the exception and um, and a story told by chaucer's summoner in the actual canterbury tales this is just the prologue when the people actually tell stories the summoner actually tells a story which shows a franciscan friar extorting money by promising people that he will write down their names and pray for them or give them easy penances in exchange for food and money so technically uh, the friars were people who would beg for their uh, money and uh, till now it seems because he is a full solemn man which means that he is a fully solemn man he he has that kind of gravitas it seems as if he might actually um you know be the kind of person that he is supposed to be in all the orders orders for is none that can so much of dalians and fair language uh, he had made full many a marriage of young women at his own cost unto his order he was a noble post now in all the four orders there were supposed to be four orders of friars the dominicans or the black friars this is on page number 66 the first note the franciscan on the gray friars the carmelites or the white friars and the augustinians or the austin friars and there was none in all of these four orders that can so much dalians of fair language right i'm sorry uh, for the earlier pronunciation It can happen sometimes when you're reading a, a language which is not um, normally and habitually yours and uh, nobody could 
nobody could talk as flirtatiously and in fair here means pretty or beautiful language that he could but um, saying that this was a friar who could flirt very well or who could speak very well who could speak very beautifully is not exactly a recommendation for a friar that's not what a friar is supposed to do he had made full many a marriage of young women at his own cost until his order he was a noble post now the reference to marriage on page number 66 it says that uh, the friar himself has made the girls pregnant and therefore helped them to marry in haste if the women were pregnant before marriage it it was one of the more common reasons in medieval england for women to marry very very soon at his own cost could also mean that he paid for their uh, marriage but at the same time that he made them he provided the conditions in a certain sense for them to marry very very quickly and to his order he was a noble post <laughs> now this is a sort of uh, this this um this exact opposite um reference noble post immediately after hearing everything that we have heard he is not exactly a noble man so this is a sort of the ironic sarcastic sort of undercutting undercutting of chaucer where full well beloved and familiar was he familiar basically means it's somebody who's familiar is somebody who's on good terms with franklins all over in his country all over in his county franklins were land owners a lot of them were uh, becoming very very quickly part of the bourgeoisie part of the wealthy class the bourgeoisie doesn't mean the wealthy class but the franklins were wealthy and they were becoming part of the bourgeoisie and also with worthy women of the town now worthy again if you remember it's a word that chaucer has used many many times for the knight but he has also used it uh, for others um, i think it was the monk for whom it was used or for the prioress one of them we have to go back and see but worthy is a word uh, which has a lot of connotations and sarcastically it could mean a lot of different things it could mean people who are actually worthy like the knight or here because we've already known that he has pushed a lot of women towards marriage here uh, worthy women could mean women who are wealthy women who are actually virtuous but at the same time it could also be a sarcastic reference to the uh, to the kind of women that he knew because he is the kind of man that he is and also uh, a friar who is a begging uh, sort of uh, you know uh, whose main work is begging and listening to confessions he is supposed to know everyone that's the whole point of a friar that they go out it's like it's sort of like an outreach program of the church so he's supposed to go out and meet everyone not just the worthy people but this is a friar who knows how to talk very well so he knows all the franklins in his county and also all the worthy women uh, for he had the power of confession as said himself more than a curate uh, a curate had the power of confession for office order he was a licentiate right a, a licentiate is somebody who is licensed to hear uh, a confession so he had the power of confession he had the license to hear confessions as said himself more than a curate he said it himself that um, you know that he had more power than a curate to actually uh, hear the confessions and um, the reference to this is uh, given on page number 66 please read um i have spoken about most of this so i'm not going to repeat it a uh, full sweetly heard he confession and pleasant was his absolution uh, he was an easy man to give penance there as he knew to have a good pittance so uh, full sweetly he heard confession he was very very sympathetic and pleasant was his absolution 
he did not uh, he did not uh, make people work very hard when he gave them absolution but the only condition that he had he was an easy man to give penance he gave penance to everyone he said uh, you know he ab- he gave absolution to people's souls there as in wherever he knew to have a good pittance wherever he knew there was good money he gave the penance as well as absolution very very quickly and he heard the confession very very sweetly so the the reference is of course then to you know the money that he received in return for unto a poor order for to give is sign that a man is a very shriv right um poor order here basically means somebody like a friar somebody who belongs to an order which is poor an order of the church right a a group or a faction of the church so he says that you know if a man gives a lot of money if a man gives generously to somebody who belongs to a poor order of the church like the friar himself then he would say that that's a good sign then then that is a sign of having made a confession that is a man who wants to repent of course this is just a justification that he is giving and chaucer is just having a laugh at his expense for if he for if he gave he durst make a vaunt as in he asserts positively he knew that a man was a repon repentant for many a man so hard is of his heart he may not weep although him so smart so him so smart so him so smart is sore is basically somebody who is very smart is hurt somebody who is very very hurt sorely hurt right uh, so the friar is saying that many men are so hard of heart you know that their their heart is so hard or they're not able to weep he may not weep they're not able to he uh, they're not able to weep they're not able to cry which was a sign of being repentant which was very common in confession uh, however much you know they're hurt however sorely they're hurt although him sorely smart right this means that although they're hurt very very sorely but they would still not be able to weep some men are really have such a hard heart but if he gave for if he yaff he durst make a vaunt then the friar said that if people gave money then the friar could positively say he could positively he could be sure that the man was repentant because some men were so hard of heart that even if they wanted to they couldn't cry therefore instead of weeping and prayers men moot as in men may give silver to the poor friars and hence some people uh, instead of weeping and of saying prayers they could just give silver or they could just give money to the poor friars and that will be that and the friar is going to give them the absolution and the penance right his tippet or his hood was i fast full of knives and pins for to give to fair wives right so he had all manners of so another thing that the friars would do is that they would carry around all of these um, you know um they would carry around little pins and little um, souvenirs that they would give away for a lot of uh, for a little bit of money to people and these would be souvenirs which have, which would have sort of religious confessions so he would carry around knickknacks like that for to given to fair wives to to give to women um and certainly he had a mayer note mayer is a pleasant note he had a very very pleasant voice well could he sing and play on a road right so rote is an instrument so he could sing very well he could play the instrument very well of ye- of yeddings he bore outrightly the prize 
right whenever anybody sang ye- yeddings is ballad songs whenever people talked about singing songs he saw, he sang them so well that he outrightly took the prize that there was no confusion he was the one who always took the pli- uh, prize his neck white was as the fleur de lis fleur de lis is a fleur de lis fleur de lis is uh, uh, is the lily right and it was this was a common um, comparison made with um, heroines of the romance um, so he is very beautiful looking he also sings very well he also plays the instrument very well there too he strong was as a champion he knew the taverns well in every town and average as in every one hostler and tapestry bet than a lazar as in better than a lazar or a leper and a bagister so he says that there too he was strong as a champion right so he was a champion in singing in dancing and looking nice and he knew all the taverns well in every town uh, but then again a friar is not supposed to know the taverns taverns were where people went to drink right and every hostler and and at a tapestry so every barmaid barmaids were again they were supposed to be very very licentious so he was well acquainted either with the franklins with the worthy women of the town or with the barmaids uh, and he knew the barmaids and the hostlers uh, better than any lepers or any beggar women again he chooses who he associates with for unto such a worthy man as he and here again you see that word worthy it is the same word that is used for knight but of course here it is ironic uh for unto such a worthy man uh, accorded not as by his faculty to have with sick lazars acquaintance so um so the narrator says for unto such a worthy man as he basically means for uh, you know such a worthy man as he was it it does not suit his position and it does not suit his personality to have acquaintance with sick lepers and with people uh, who are not fun in that sense it is not honest it may not advance uh, right it is not respectable uh, and it it doesn't actually advance one's position it doesn't make one's position any better for to deal in with no such porel as in um, you know it advances it, it can only advance one's position if one does not deal with people like that but all the rich and sellers of vital vital is basically uh, you know the grocers uh, the grocers were uh, the merchants were uh, some of the more important and some of the more um, you know prosperous guilds so he knows the rich people he knows the grocers and overall there as profit should arise and so he went and overall and he went especially where profit arose where there was a possibility of a profit curtis he was and lovely of service so wherever he could see wherever he could see profits there he knew how to be of service and there he knew how to do the proper courtesy as in court manners and you should compare this to this almost the same line is used for the squire this is line number 99 on page 57 but whereas in the case of the squire this line basically goes on to talk about his aristocratic and his noble birth the squire is supposed to be uh, you know uh, of service and he is supposed to have courtly manners because he is a courtier 
and he is being of service to his father in front of whom he carves on the table which is his duty right so he is courteous towards his father and the squire's you know responsibility despite him he also sings very well he also plays the instrument very well so in that sense the friar and the squire have some similar characteristics but whereas in the case of the squire these characteristics are in in accordance with his position in the society he is supposed to do all of that and because he is good at what he is supposed to do it adds on to his own worthiness but also the worthiness of the knight whom he serves in the case of the friar these qualities are out of place and so it's a little jarring when you hear that you know uh, the friar has these qualities and it goes on to disregard or you know or to sort of distend his own profile in that sense so the same sentence used in two different contexts has to diff- have two different meanings and here you see some references of sort of, sort of you know the very subtle estate satire in that sense there nas no man no way so virtuous so whenever he saw profit you couldn't really find another man who was as virtuous as he was he just had to have some profit in it for himself he was the best beggar in his house and gave a certain firm as in gave a certain rent for the ground ground as in permission to beg he was the best beggar in his house wherever he went he was the best at his job uh, but then again the kind of money that he seems to have it doesn't really look like he's just begging he gave a certain form or he gave rent for the permission to beg in certain places none of his brethren came there in his hound so friars would have begging areas if you remember the first thing that we hear about him is that he is a limitor he has a limit there's a space where he is able to beg and uh, nobody was allowed to come there and he gave rent to the church to be able to beg in this particular area so that nobody else would come there for though a widow had not a shoe so pleasant was his in principio yet would he have a farthing ere he went so even if he met a widow who did not even have money to have shoes on her feet she was so poor for though a widow had not a shoe she did not have even a shoe on her feet he was so pleasant with in his in principio in principio is the first chapter of the gospel it's given on page number 68 right a passage uh, this passage is regarded with great reverence sometimes even like a magic charm and so on and so forth so people could not because this was in latin till the time that wycliffe actually came around um people didn't really know how to read the bible at all but the friar would at least know what it was what was written in it we don't know whether he knew latin or not most probably not but he would at least know the gist of it and people uh, gave money to the church so that they would tell them what the bible said because it was supposed to be the word of god so he could tell of in principio he could tell of the bible in such pleasant terms uh, yet would he have a farthing before he went he could he could extract a farthing even out of the poorest of the poor even from a widow who had no money even for shoes right before he went here he went is before he went yet he would get a farthing out of her you remember farthing is is one fourth of a penny fourth fourth of a penny uh, we uh, read about this in the prioress's um, profile his purchase or his profit was well better than his rent right 
the rent that he gave he made much much more than that in his profit and rage he could and rage basically means and flirt he could as it were a whelp right in love days there could he much help for there he was not like a cloister with a threadbare cape as is a poor scholar so love days were basically um, the court was also associated with at least the lower courts were somewhat associated with the church the church had complete control over it earlier but uh, now the you know the the courts were slightly different but still love days were specific days set out of the whole year wherein um, you know people could adjust or people could sort of settle their claims out of court and the friars and other lower members of the church they could work as arbiters they could work as you know sort of in between um, negotiators who could help people um, come to terms or settle things so in love days he could help a lot and uh, for there he was not like a cloister right he did not remain in a cloister like a monk uh, he actually went out to the to the courts and he helped people decide their matters and um, he was not like a thread he would he did not wear a threadbare cape his clothes were not threadbare not worn out he was not like a poor scholar but he was like a meister or a pope meister is a master of arts a uh, master of arts would necessarily mean somebody who's gone to college and somebody um who um has studied the scriptures at least till a very very basic level most university education was also religious in its orientation uh, there is no reference that he actually has a master of arts but he could talk as well as good very very educated and intellectual uh, people so whenever he went to these love days he was like a meister or a pope he spoke so well of double worsted was his semi cope uh, he wore a half cape he wore a fashionable coat and it was double worsted as in it was made out of fine woolen cloth they rounded as a bell out of a press it was and his cape was his cape was such fine quality that it looked like or he, he, it hung or he it it sort of took its shape it kept its shape so well almost as if it had been molded as if it had just come out of a mold or of a press um right shaped like a bell so it bellowed it was a very fashionable um coat or a cape somewhat he lipsed for his wantonness lipsed was it was considered to be fashionable to lisp right for his wantonness whenever he talked in affection to make his english sweet upon his tongue and in his harping when that he had sung so to make his english sweet as in people who lisped it was considered that that is a very sounds uh, you know sort of sweet to hear so it was fashionable also to lisp and so uh, he would lisp so that his english would uh, you know sound sweet upon his tongue and in his harping when that he had sung his eye twinkled in his head all right as doon the stars in the frosty night right um this worthy limitor was clept or called hubert the last thing that you know about him is that his name is hubert and uh, 25a and 25b um the the friar is sort of we've already talked about how the friar is disinterested in how the poor pay uh, but these are the these are the ways in which he actually makes his money 
and he is very much like the monk who's also a caricature or a sarcastic profile of a church professional. The next uh, profile is that of the merchant but I'll make another uh, recording for it.